You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning, welcome to the show. It is Wednesday the 28th of September, and as you might be able to hear, uh, I am at the sales. I'm at Goff's Orby sale. There was a, a pretty spectacular trade yesterday with the most expensive yearling anywhere in the world sold this year at 2.5 million euros. That was a, a sister to the recent Middle Park and pre-morning winner uh, Blackbeard, more of which later in the show with uh, Jane Mangan, who also had a pretty notable result here um, on day one. But first of all, our thoughts are clearly very much uh, upon the arc this week, the most valuable race in Europe. Uh, the huge prize pot and the great profile for the race has drawn a massive field. It's a likely maximum field, as you heard with Tom Stanley on yesterday's podcast and Rishi Passad. Uh, it it w- will inevitably lead to disappointment as, as horses will miss the cut. And you also heard that one of those horses would likely be very elegant. The 11-time winner at the top level in her native Australia who has run below that level in France but has been dropped by the handicapper to the point where she's unlikely to make the race. Now, this has caused significant uh, upset. I've been speaking to her trainer, Francis Graffard, and first of all, he took me through the quite complex process that he had to consider this morning as to how to play the next few days with this, with this star mare. So basically, today before half 11, I have to make a decision between either supplementing in the arc or, um, or declaring in the Prix de Royale on Saturday. Because in France, you can't declare in two races at the same time. So I have to make the, the decision. So I can end up being nowhere, basically. <laughs> so can, can, you track, can you track the declarations, Francis? Yes, I can on the France website. I can live, I can see uh, who is declaring and who is not. So obviously, uh, uh, right up to uh, half 11, I will be uh, on my computer looking at what's happening. So she will run in one race or the other unless you make a massive miscalculation, declare her and supplement her for the arc, and she then doesn't get in and you haven't declared her for the Hoyalia, correct? Yes, exactly. Exactly. So... I don't, I don't, it's, it's, a, it's a very tricky situation probably what will happen because I think everybody wants to run what will happen I will declare in the YLU and at the end we will find out that she would have get into the arc but uh, yeah it's, it's very tricky and that, re- and that really is, is Sod's law Mark Zara the jockey is on his way over from Australia is he going to come come what may and ride her in the YLU if she does run in that <laughs> Uh, to be fair, we haven't discussed that uh, yet. We will see what happened at half 11, 11 and where she's going. He was coming for the R because obviously with the number of runners, we didn't have the first choice jockey. So uh, on Saturday, we will have more options. So I don't know if the owner will decide to send him over or not at the end. Okay, just on, on, a point of, on a point of principle, the, the French handicap has dropped you down to a mark that's, that's meant that you've missed the cut. I mean, how do you feel about her rating now, um, given that if, if, this, if this was being run in Britain, she'd have made it quite comfortably? 
Exactly. I'm very, very upset, Nick, about uh, the French authorities and the French handicapper, uh, my country, racing country in general. I think we try really hard, the young trainers, to to promote our sport and try to make it competitive worldwide and everything. Try to be uh, open. Open. We open our doors all the time. We play the game and France Gallo and... Uh, uh, they, they try to make it difficult at every single stage and this video has been a very uh, <laughs> a good example of how unopened the French are everything, every step all the way have been difficult for her, for the owners and they make our life very difficult right up to the end and um, it's opening the race has been done in the past and it looks like it depends on who is claiming it or not uh, and so the one side which is upsetting uh, I think for international races it would have been uh, fantastic and logical because I'm not the only one I mean La Parisienne is 12 to 1 in the betting and she's not getting in the rain and she race and she's She's owned by American people, trained in Maison Lafitte by a young guy. It's it's very, very upsetting. It's not good for the sport um, in general, I think. And then talking about the French handicapper, it's absolutely ridiculous. The horse trained in France is, is uh, hammered all the time, completely uh, with, with no reason. And before we were not getting into the race, the Australian owners were very upset how he was dropping the filly. Uh, and as you said, if she was trained somewhere else, she would have come into the race with a mark and no discussion. And uh, it's just uh, absolutely ridiculous. And I'm very, very upset against the whole system, uh, the French system anyway. And, and she's been dropped an extraordinary amount in, in two runs. Am I right in thinking there is a two-run rule in France that if you run twice, you are therefore eligible to be reassessed? So if you'd only run her the once, she'd have got in. Yeah, I don't know. After running the Jean Romanet, he dropped her one kilo. But because apparently 113 is a, is a mark she had, her best mark this year. Uh, so he was, his whole goal was to come back to this mark of 113. So he's used two runs to, to do that. And, and uh, I mean, she, she, she's rated below group two winners. Uh, uh, so it's 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 crazy. And just as another example, my filly who won the Vermeil, she got a handicap mark of 50.5 kilos, which is the same as a condition runner, True Testament, uh, who is uh, the same mark. So she wouldn't have even get into the race. And I, it's just uh, at one stage we need to to consider that French horses are not that bad and they, they deserve, uh, deserve a normal mark because uh, it's so uh, unfair, uh, really. Have you, have you, have you, you, Francis, have you spoken to the handicapper? You can't. They're always right. They always, uh, they always have a good reason. Uh, it's, it's very, very difficult. And the people that, they, they always think they're right. And, uh, but um, I told, I told Edouard de Rothschild, I mean, there is a big mistake done for for races, and some people have to be blamed. And uh, it's just uh, no. I'm I'm very angry against my uh, my racing country. It's it's just too hard. It's such a hard job already. You know, we are so exposed, and and they make it so much more difficult. And uh, it's it's quite unfair, basically. 
Francis, you... I mean, the, the arc has been run with more runners, I think, uh, all along. It uh, was a lot uh, 24 when she won it. Yeah. Uh, Urban Sea Hark was uh, very busy also. It has been done, and it's not about uh, trying to put uh, horses with absolutely no chance and no good handicap mark into the race. It's not that. It's like proper, proper race horses that want to get in. Anyway. Well... You've expressed yourself extremely eloquently and, and with great candour. You, of course, also have another runner in the race, um, Sealyway. Uh, I know they're owned by, by different sets of connections, but is there any suggestion that you might take one out to let the other one in? Oh, no. No, no, no. I can't do a thing like that. I mean, uh, my other owners, they deserve to get into the race. But you take Sealyway also, the handicapper had never stopped dropping his mark uh, all year, and now he's rated below uh, like a... Uh, German horses who are, uh, I mean, Sidiwa is a champion stakes winner. And now he's, I mean, I know he hasn't had the best season for him, but he has excuses. And you, uh, they need to keep uh, their level of mark. Uh, some I'm not going to try to go into a handicap with Sidiwa, you know. It's just, uh, so he nearly didn't get into the race also. He's rated below like group two winners, Sidiwa, now. It's just, uh, I don't know, maybe he doesn't like me and he <laughs> try to hammer me all the time, but uh, it makes my life very difficult. It's okay, Francis. After this, he's going he's gonna to like you more. I'm, I've, 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 every, I've every reason to think that you... <laughs> this is but I have to apologize to all the Australian racing fan and everything. I mean, it's, uh, I'm very upset about the whole process and, uh, and uh, yeah, we will try. But the, the mayor is in very good form and uh, the season is not over with us. Of course, we are disappointing because it was fun to go to the Ark, you know. But we will have uh, good days. I think good days will come out of this uh, bad experience, basically. While listening to Francis Graffard, there was uh, Jane Mangan, who joins me here at uh, Goffs, uh, the sales complex in County Kildare, where Jane had rather a good day yesterday. More of that in a few moments' time. Jane, you've been listening to Francis Graffard. What's your thoughts on the French authorities and their apparent intransigence over this Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe? I completely understand his frustration and the situation he's in is not one I would uh, like to find myself in. The Philly, the 11-time Group 1 winning sensation came from Australia with a rating of 120. And I wonder, did the handicapper in France, was he feeling his way? So after Deauville over 10 furlongs where she disappointed on her first run, which she was legitimately probably trying to find her feet in Europe and of course Francis Graffard probably trying to learn a little bit more about her. She didn't run up to her true level. Um, her last run in France was perfectly respectable, but the handicapper has felt that he wants to drop her seven, seven pounds. Now, a lot of people would say, geez, if I could run a horse twice, drop well, seven pounds, exactly, that would be exactly what I thought. That would be right up my street, but there obviously is a reason for it. And then you also have the argument of the limiting the field size to 20. Now, I've had to do a bit of digging this morning. The last time there was a, a field size exceeding 20 was Urban Sea, the year I was born in 1993. Alright, stop it. Yes, I just had to get that in there. Um, and since then, there's only been two runnings of the race, of the Prix de l'Arc Triomphe, with a field of 20. That was Carnegie in 1994 and Trev in, uh, in 2014. So, it's not happening very often. Is this an argument enough to expand the field? I, I, I don't object to to France Gallo not not expanding the field if you've got a rule that you've set because you've set a safety limit for a race 
it is then very difficult to row back on that. I know that France Gallo officials considered extending the race. I mean, you only have to listen to, to John Gosden talking about Mishrift to Sky Sports Racing yesterday to know that that has been considered. Mm. So at least they entertained the possibility. But I, I accept the fact that it's very hard to row back on that once you have a safety limit. Because if you have a safety limit and then you exceed it and put in an auxiliary gate, for example, and then there is, then there is an accident, you're on a hiding to nothing Absolutely. by doing that. So I do understand that you have to keep the safety limit. I think this is utterly ridiculous that she's been dropped seven pounds in two runs. So we can quantify why she's been dropped so considerably for two runs for a filly that has such a repertoire well, by, of form. By, by any standards of international handicapping, if a horse has that, bo- that body of evidence of its ability already under its belt and a, and a panel of international handicappers in the classifications have agreed at a conference last December that she should be rated 120 that's an international panel of handicappers to be dropped on the evidence of one run where she clearly hasn't picked a leg up that should be completely discounted and the run last time is, is one piece of meaningful or one piece of evidence in a race that was run typically tactically at a slow pace and is essentially where, a trial and it's essentially a trial so to drop a horse effectively seven pounds in one hit, which is what I believe the, the handicapper he or she has done, is 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 utter, utterly ridiculous. Yeah, um, this and that's not a sent, that's not a sentimental argument. I, I would wonder as well. Obviously, the, very elegant is a, a unique example because you never have a filly of that stature come all the way around the world to run in a race like this. But now all the world is watching and the next 24 hours are going to be oh so important not only for Frances Graffard but for everyone associated with her the sub the listen she may yet get in the race she may yet run but even to supplement her for 120 grand and then ultimately you could end up with no run uh, you get your fee back I presume if you're balloted out yeah but, but then you but then you can't run in the wild yeah. because so you can't it, declare in two races you can't, you yeah. can't double declare and so that again is a nonsense. as well with La Prisienne. She has solid farm, exactly. form. Uh, Jan Lerner, I uh, com- completely understand his frustration as I well. Mean, a lot of pe- uh, more people, more people in Europe would have fancied La Parisienne for this race than would have fancied Very Elegant. Let's be quite clear about yes. this, as Francis just pointed out. They would have fancied her a lot more than some of the horses who were guaranteed to run. Um, so where that leaves the, the sort of reputation of France Gallo as a whole over this is, is, is open to some question particularly disappointing given the fact they've done so much right you were, you were praising the way this race has been promoted you were praising the prize money that's why there is a maximum field mm. but when you get to a point of what looks intransigence it, it, it's rather disappointing especially the race is one of, it is Europe's best race you get Japanese over every year and now you're getting the superstar from Oz that's what you want to attract, and it's, it's, it's unfortunate that the, the whole thing could be scuppered before the gates open. Wanted to talk about one or two horses who are running. Um, were you surprised that Mishriff got, a, got an entry? I, I mean, I listened to, to John Gosden justifying the decision, and it was, as you would expect, very cogent, but I was still somewhat surprised. So was I. Um, I thought maybe Leopardstown... I, I, I'm trying to figure out where this horse's career will end, because, of course, now we do know where he's going to retire to stud. Uh, he's going to sumb in France, and that plan has been made. So I, I'd imagine every run could be his last. But Nurlan, Nurlan Bizikov in sumb in Arad de Montfort has uh, agreed to stand him, and uh, I think he's a good acquisition. But he's not the horse he was. Uh, it's a big win for French bloodstock, that isn't it? And a big win for Prince Faisal. He's Basel. a very well-bred horse. He's very sound. He's very versatile and adaptable. I, I think he'll be popular. I would be very surprised if he wasn't. I'd be disappointed if he wasn't. Um, but 
the, the, the I had to laugh Ted about being very level today when he was interested that they watered with the rain forecast and mm. the rain that yeah, has that's come. That's the other bone of contention, isn't it? If we end up with soft ground on Sunday, there'll be there'll be more than a few eyebrows raised. Okay, well we're here at the Goffs Orby sale. Um, day one saw a record price for a yearling anywhere in the world this year as Blackbeard's full sister made 2.6 million euros. Now she was bought by Richard Knight Bloodstock for an as yet undisclosed buyer. All sorts of speculation as to who that might be but Richard's been very active for what appears to be a new or returning client across the, the Bloodstock world this this autumn and said that she would be trained and she would be trained in the UK. So um, exciting news for lots of people there. Eh? Yes, uh, somebody, some trainer is going to get some very good news and uh, so on and so forth. But she was a queen, um, regardless of her page, seeing her walk around, the way she behaved, the quality she had. Uh, it wasn't surprising that she had international um, competition for her. I think a US. Yeah, the under the underbidder were, were, were American US. bidders, not yeah. not in fact Coolmore. Jacob West, so two point six was a lot of money, but when you get up beyond. Uh, seven figures it's it's into the lap of the gods then but she was the real article but i think the strength of the sale yesterday there was a hundred lots made over six figures or six figures or more that's incredible in a time where the international markets are so turbulent i mean it is it is extraordinary borderline bizarre but as we know this little bloodstock world is a strange is a strange bubble of its own um I, I know you don't want to make this a self-congratulatory episode, Jane, but I can congratulate you on your very good result with your homebred Churchill filly. Uh, I know how much it meant to you and your, your whole family who were here yesterday. Um, how do you rate that as days at the sales go? Yeah, it, was, it was really satisfying. Um, we're National Hunt people, true and true. We have a lot of National Hunt broodmares, but we have two flat mares, myself and my mum. A couple of years ago, I asked mum if she'd helped me fund uh, buying a, a flat mare or two, so she did, and she went to Newmarket with Paddy Toomey, and they bought Najma, a Cape Cross mare, who is the dam of yesterday's Churchill, and uh, she's more than paid for herself, and I rang Dad... Am I, am I, can I be as inelegant enough to ask you how much you had to pay for Naj- Najma? She cost her in 21 or 22 guineas in Newmarket July sale. So not a king's ransom? Not a king's ransom. Uh, she was good value, Well, and... I rang mom or I, I rang my dad on Monday. She was very popular. She was going down very well and she was showing herself particularly well. And I rang dad and I said, make sure you come up. You're here for a lot of bad days. You may come up for a good day and make sure you bring my brothers as well. So my brother Brian, who foaled her and folds all of our mares, came. And uh, thankfully it, it all worked out. Um, it, he was, a, I'm sure, very happy to be here. He didn't look very happy in the picture you posted. He's, uh, he's obviously he's obviously a bit more camera shy than you are. Not not particularly. No, Jimmy does, <laughs> and Jimmy's good at the microphone as well. Um, but no, I mean Brian. Oh, Brian, yeah, he's he's the he's a bit like my mum. He's the grafter, the worker. But I, w- I must say, my mum Mary had her looking a million dollars, and uh, if I feel like a fraud getting all the congratulations because she's done all the work. So you should. That's what everyone said. <laughs> but well done. Great result. Well, when you tour the sales for a day, you're always fortunate to run into the whole array of, of characters who make the sport what it is. Johnny Hassett is definitely one of those. He runs the Bloodstock Connection. He's sold under that name for, for many years. Um, but life-changing moments over the last few years have, have changed not only him, but his outlook 
to the sport and his outlook to, to buying and trading horses. And, and he joins me now to talk to me about getting the game. Johnny, first of all, it might be just worth giving a, a bit of background. You were a, a very happy, well, still are a very happy bloodstock agent, but you were given two terminal cancer diagnoses, which you've, you've survived. Yeah. Um, obviously, and I guess the thing that, that a couple of things happened there. One was the overwhelming support. GoFundMe called me after three days, suspicious activity because it filled up so quick like the industry and people who kind of followed me on for twitter your, for your treatment to, to, yeah, send, to send you yeah, abroad basically yeah. for treatment i didn't i didn't want to go i i was against to go fund me and until i who will remain nameless said it's not for you you idiot it's for your kids when you die <laughs> so <laughs> i went for it anyway it filled up really quickly like the stories of a guy borrowing a hundred quid off his boss before friday to put it into the GoFundMe. like it was just like it, I, I over people say overwhelming, but yeah, it was. It was a life changing, like my perspective on the world, and the bloodstock industry really changed. I guess okay. in, in that instance. So, so what you were doing before was buying horses from from here or any other sale and and offering them as breeze up horses as as two year olds, pin hook, a good old fashioned. What pin I'm hooker. still doing, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was buying, trying to pick out the nice yearlings for the money I had and uh, getting them ready, bringing them back to the breeze up and. If I got it right, I got well paid, and if I got it wrong, I did my money. So what are you doing now, and how are you trying to, to branch out? Well, what... Be, it's okay, so the, the, it became apparent that the Twitter following really enjoyed, uh, you know, the videos of me buying a horse in in Goffs and selling it in Dubai or in Deauville or wherever. And, uh, you know, it is kind of exciting. You buy horses full of potential and they're furry little adolescents and then you're selling this big, magnificent, and the videos and the stuff kind of went well. So I la- to allow people to get involved, I started this Get In The Game, which is exactly what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. You can buy a share in the, the Churchill I bought yesterday for 100 quid. And you have... If the horse is is a hundred grand, you've one tenth of one percent. Do you know what I mean? Or you can buy a hundred quid, a thousand quid, or five thousand quid, and uh, so it's allowed people to get in the game who normally wouldn't get in the game for a couple of reasons. Maybe they don't have the finances, or they don't have the connections, or they don't have the education. And in the process, I try and like explains just simple stuff like mucking out and picking out a hoof and how to break a yearling and and uh, it also allows people into the industry because there is a perception that this industry is very closed well what interests me is that you know, we, we talk about fractional ownership we promote fractional ownership on this show uh, or, or syndication and we're supporting you know, as many owners as we can get into the game, but I'm interested in your concept because it strikes me that you're allowing people into the engine yes, of the sport. That's it. You're it, allowing people to see how the cogs are turning. So we make loads of mistakes and we put it on Twitter, kind of. You know what I mean? It's yeah. open. Um, and last year, we did a we did a shocking job for personal <laughs> reasons, and people still made twenty percent money, and they got their videos at the end, and it. It, it still worked out. They're all keen to come back. So I think I think because we did it badly and it still worked, then I'm going to give it a kick this year. Like, And, and now that's why I'm talking to Nick Luck, kind of. Do you know? Well, there, there will be far greater achievements than that. I think you, you might have accomplished a few of them already. It's, it's great to talk to you. Um, the 
Bloodstock C is your Twitter handle, at the Bloodstock C, and getinthegame.ie is where people need to go if they want to get, get in, in the game. Get in the game, yeah, get involved. Johnny, thanks so much. Pleasure, Nick. Johnny Hassett there. Now back to racing in Britain and the first royal runner has been declared since the death of Her Late Majesty the Queen and has been declared in the name of the King. Um, Jane, I think this is quite significant because there's been a lot of speculation as to how the royal runners would be styled and, and no doubt the Queen Consort is going to take a significant role in the development of, of the royal runners given her, her interest in the, in the sport. But to my mind, educator running in the name of the King at Salisbury, it, it reinforces the link, the that unbreakable link between the monarch, the absolute monarch, and the sport, rather irrespective of whether the monarch has a personal passion or interest in the sport, as Her Late Majesty did. And I, I think for for racing as a whole, or British racing's reputation, I think that means quite a bit. I would say considerably, yes. Uh, I, like probably many people, thought, speculated maybe it would be running in the name of the Queen Consort because she has a passion and she's really interested in her racing and her equine um, interests. But to have the direct link to, let's be honest, probably the most influential and famous man in the world mm. is considerable. And it's a, it's a sign of commitment or a show of commitment from the family. Uh, and also, when you get to the next generation it places more of an emphasis on on how they're going to continue that link or whether they're going to continue that that link with with racing whereas if you if you slightly take away the the ownership from the absolute monarch the then that, link. that 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 you're you're one step removed if that makes any absolutely. sense absolutely and and once once one precedent is set you don't know and it comes a little bit unstable and a little bit uncertain but i will say without wanting to presume anything i'd imagine this is what her late majesty the queen would have wanted but the sport in, in every country survives on a complex ecosystem and everybody knows that without the, without the workforce the sport is, is absolutely nothing and to that end I just want to urge all trainers and all those associated with members of racing's workforce to get your nominations in for the revamped Godolphin supported thoroughbred industry employee awards in Britain these were formerly known as the Godolphin stud and stable staff awards but in 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 line with the rest of the world France Ireland uh, the USA they are now the thoroughbred industry employee awards I'm very pleased to be the the chair of the the judging panel again it's a it's a great honor it's a um, it must be a tough call it's a, very tough but immensely rewarding and really pleased this year that we're back to a a big event in in London as well and um, nominations are, are now open so uh, the only the only thing I would say is if you if you think somebody is deserving of an award don't just don't just toss the name in put some real careful thought behind your submission and, and really really take some care over it because that first entry stage your submission is all we've got to go on you have to do them justice you have to do you have to do them justice um, and then we'll and then we'll try and do the rest of the we'll try and do the rest of the hard work and, and work out who's the most deserving recipient. Everyone deserves and praise. I, but I know from Ireland's uh, equivalent. If you don't, if you if you get passed by one year, resubmit. Absolutely, this is it. I mean, I I, I I rang several trainers last year who were a bit disgruntled that somebody hadn't gone in. Please keep trying because you will might be seen by different judges. It, it you're running against different horses as well. Don't yes. forget. Yeah. So. It, it's always worth it's always worth trying think very carefully about the categories you enter for but please please do nominate the the key members of your workforce or people you think 
deserve to be uh, to, to be honoured and to be given accolades as the nominations open for the Thoroughbred Industry Employee Awards of 2023. Well, one stellar female who definitely will be turning up in a Group 1 race on Art Weekend is the Platinum Queen, the two-year-old who was a brilliant second in the Nunthorpe, ran a great race in the Flying Childers and now heads to the Prix de l'Abbé at the weekend, another race where two-year-olds can meet their elders. Tom Palin from Owners Midland Park joins me here. Uh, and Tom, what a what a fun filly she's been for Abs- your for your owners. Absolutely. I mean, she's kind of the stuff that dreams are made of. You know, when you, when you go to the Tassels Crate uh, Guineas Breeze Up uh, and you spend £57,000, you don't expect to have a favourite for a Group 1, but that's exactly what we've got. And, you know, the, the team is absolutely delirious with excitement at the moment just to think that we could be going to France and seeing seeing her run a little heart out and maybe have a colours carried to victory in a group one it's it's stuff dreams are made of really isn't it uh, when you saw what Highfield Princess then did in the flying five at the Curra did it only further your resolve that you had a you had a favourites chance if you went to an abbey yeah um, but obviously the, the, the Childers form did take a little bit of a hit in the Chievely Park with Trillium not running her race but she didn't run at all she didn't turn no, up did that, she I, think, I think that was so bad to be true that you can almost pop a line through that she was never at the races I think maybe her and um, the Platinum Queen had a ding dong battle for a furlong and a half and that might have just taken its toll on her so I'm happy to excuse that and just to confirm yeah the, the, the Flying Five performance of Highfield Princess was a serious effort I think we've. I think we set the. I think we set the standard going into that race. Really, what's the plan? Do you think for the Platinum Queen beyond Sunday? Uh, the Breeders' Cup, really. Um, five and a half furlongs, tight track, good ground. Get out on the speed. Don't see which way she goes. That'd be the plan. Excellent. And then into <laughs> next year. Absolutely. Um, she's not a small little whippet of a thing. She's a big, no. scopy, good-looking filly who, you know, not, not that this is anywhere on the horizon, but that she, her broodmare days would be quite exciting as well. But she, she will definitely be one who you'd imagine would fully train on into a three- and four-year-old career. But trading is obviously very important to your continued success. You need to know when to, to move horses on to try and bolster the coffers. You've entered Eddie's Boy in the... Uh, sale at Tattersalls, the horses in training sale at Tattersalls in Newmarket. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, when we did enter him, that was before his Group 3 victory. Um, and now things, you know, he's still get, still going to be entered there, but he might be there in a slightly different guise, you know. He was mm. probably there with a reserve of lower than, well, three, four times lower than what he might be going there with this time. And um, now he's done that. We, we've got. We've so you think that pre-eclipse win in in France has increased his value three or fourfold? I would uh, something around there. Yeah, I mean that's for the markets to decide, isn't it? Not not for me to sit here and tell you what he's worth. But um, yeah, absolutely. It was a very very breathtaking performance. Mm. One which saw him finish in the top ten of time forms, uh, top rated two year olds, one hundred and thirteen, which puts him above some very nice horses, including the Platinum Queen, actually. Um, in their opinion so he's a serious animal and he, he'll probably go there with a nice reserve we've got a group two in mind in, in France in next weekend for him and I'm sure he'll go there and confirm that that wasn't a fluke in that group three and he'll go to Tassels and hopefully realise a pretty penny or two and of course good racing good trading means that you're over the two million pound prize money mark for this year which is no mean achievement no that, and that's just in prize money alone before we talk about sales as well so yeah two million pounds is something we'd never have dreamed of you know it's, our, it's been our best year so far by a long way 114 winners yesterday tips us over the two million pounds and still a few months ago which is quite scary um, and that's before we even talk about Marie's Rock coming back into training uh, so what's happening with Marie's Rock? She's coming back to Nikki Anderson. Absolutely, um, we've probably got another year or two with her as well. To um, you know, dual Grade One winner, plenty of prize money to be earned from her as well. 
Tom Palin there from Midland Park Racing. Now we're off to Hong Kong for this week's instalment in the company of Jim McGrath. Nick, what a blow to hear the news this week that Joe Moreira is going to be on the sidelines for the next three months in Hong Kong. The hip injury that dogged him for most of last season has finally caught up with him. The pain became just too much. Moreira is scheduled to undergo plasma therapy treatment to his left hip in Hong Kong today. He wanted to go back to Brazil, but was persuaded to stay in Hong Kong in order to have some continuity of doctors and therapists during his recuperation. Joe Moreira is a four-time Hong Kong champion, but his prolonged rivalry with Zach Purton last season clearly took its toll. After 88 meetings, he finished second. Not a good outcome for the Magic Man after such a gruelling battle. During the course of last season, Moreira had to give up rides because of a heart issue, and he later reported undergoing surgery relating to his digestive system during the off-season in Brazil. The causes, according to medics, were stress, anxiety, dehydration and high-intensity exercise. The Magic Man is 39 years old, and the question remains, how much longer will he keep riding? The Hong Kong Jockey Club are backing him fully, assuring him that they want him back when he's fit and well. Three Man South is a long time in Hong Kong. It certainly opens the door to other very good jockeys in the ranks, who would otherwise be waiting in the queue behind the dynamic duo, who between them have won the last nine championship titles. Sylvester D'Souza is an obvious potential beneficiary. He's made a bright start to his return to Hong Kong, but he's serving out a suspension at present. Karis Teton is another, but he's currently out of action until further notice with a thyroid condition. Who will benefit most? I'm putting up the name of Lyle Hewitson. Lyle is only 24. He's won three South African titles. He's ridden in Japan, which is always a good educational grounding. And he's come to Hong Kong a second time and he's clicked. And Douglas White, a 13 times Hong Kong champion jockey, is largely responsible for that. I'm tipping Hewitson to make an impression on the card at Happy Valley today. He's got a full book of eight rides and the best appears to be the white-trained S.J. Turbion in the finale, the nine furlong class three handicap. Now you might remember him as Roman Empire. He was at Ballydoyle with Aidan O'Brien. He finished fourth in the Dante behind Hurricane Lane when he acted as pacemaker and he later went on to finish second in the Hampton Court, a group three race at Royal Ascot. And that was a good effort and shows you that he might be pretty well in in a class three race, which is race eight, Number four, S.J. Turbion, uh, take him in a tote swinger with number six, Nearly Fine, one of Casper Founds' improving youngsters. Now, looking at the card, I think that uh, if we go back earlier in the night, we might see number nine, Trader, getting the money in race six. Trader's a good sprinter, and uh, Luke Ferraris, another South African, takes the ride there. I go for nine Trader to beat one Nakoni County. And Ferraris might follow up in the next race as well, race seven, number nine, winning Icy. So that's all on the Hong Kong beat this week. I'll have more for you next week. Well, over the next four weeks, uh, beginning now, really, until the 22nd of October, 
The campaign British Racing Invest in the Best is going to bring you a showcase of the best of British racing as told by leading figures and organisations across the racing industry. Uh, Personally, and as part of this podcast, very happy to be lending my support to this and equally happy to be welcoming Rod Street, the Chief Executive of Great British Racing, uh, which encompasses Great British Racing International, to the show. Uh, Rod, I, I get the sense within the industry as a whole, there is a, a drive now to to promote the best of what the UK ha- has to offer. Just, just tell me a little bit more from, from your perspective. I think there's recognition across the industry that we are a world-leading racing nation, and we tend so often to look at the challenges that that UK racing has and not focusing enough on its many assets. But in terms of the the stallions we have here, the band of brood mares, the heritage, the quality races we we hold um, and and the, the quality of the horses that perform in international races. There are lots of reasons to point to the UK being a very important place to invest in. And so the industry is really supportive of this campaign which GBRI is leading. And Rod, do we do we have any data at the moment that that underlines what the existing interest is in in British racing? I think there's tremendous um, interest. I know we we currently have circa 160 registered US um, owners, and I think that when we track that, they they were spending something like um, 29 million at, at the sales, and we think that figure can increase. I think based upon what's happened to the pound in the last 72 hours, I think there's every chance it will increase. For 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 American buyers, it's probably never been a better time to be um, at the sales. But then you talk to Dr. Kenichi Kasano of the Japanese Racing Authority, and and they want to improve the status of of of, um, of their horse racing industry. They think they've done really well in recent years with their stallions, and now there's a focus switching to developing good brood brood mares. And to do that, they want to to come to where some of the best horses are and race here and 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 in some cases buy horses and 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 take them back and breed from them and like and, and as we know hong, hong kong is an important market for the uk in um in the export of horses to race in its program so i i, I think across across the world there is already strong interest and participation in in british racing and and the purpose of this campaign is to dial up that interest and not only get people to 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 buy and export their horses but to race them here compete here and breed here and be part of this stunning industry and rod you were part of the industry strategy group that that met last week and one of the the key points to come out of that was the intention to spend more on the promotion and presentation of British racing. Do you think part of that will be increasing British racing's representation overseas? Well, it might do, but I think it needs to be joined up. So I think there are occasions, Nick, when GB is represented overseas by different individuals, but we're not always working to the same strategy. And of course, there will always be self-interest. People are visiting different countries for very different reasons. And in many cases, they have their own businesses and their own targets to work to but I think the sport can do a much better job of being taken even more seriously overseas if it's if its constituents are working to a bigger plan and you know a lot of work needs to happen there I think we've got to have bigger conversations with the likes of Tattersalls and Goffs with the media rights operators with the leading courses that send people out to represent them so we can host events and be visible and ensure that we're taken very seriously as a racing nation all right then thanks to all my guests today jane mangan is still with me uh, jane before we um sign off from here at goffs 
Uh, worth mentioning that it is the Barney Kelly Charity Cup Day at Bellews Town. Frankie Dettori's a busy boy this week. He's been everywhere. He's been riding to Corte Tasso on his final piece of work before the arc, and he's now in Bellews Town for uh, the Barney Curley uh, Charity Day. He's got some of his friends over from the UK as well. Jamie Spencer's on his team, Shane Kelly, Tom Queeley. And here in Ireland, Jamie Heflin, Billy Lee, Chris Hayes and Siobhan Rutledge. But they're going to have to be good if they're going to beat Team Willie Mullins, who's captained by Rachel Blackmore, Colin Keane, Wayne Lord and Declan McDonough, Shane Foley, Dylan Brown, McMonagall and Robert Weirty. So seven races. It's not the best quality action, but you've got some of the best riders in the world on show. Absolutely. And have you got a tip for me for today? I'm going to that very card. Are you it's good? The Maiden. It's a full field with reserves. <laughs> Not the same quality as the Ark, but the 455 at Bellystown, I think could be won by River Rain for Joseph O'Brien and Mikey Sheehy. She's been consistent. She's going to break through at some stage, and I hope it's at 455 this evening. Jane, thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. We will be back to do it all over again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.